Welcome into another edition of the Dana and Victory podcast, available on musketeerreport.com and all of your favorite streaming platforms. I am Rick, and for this edition of the podcast, I am joined by the legend Brian Snow, and you all know my co-host Dan. Gentlemen, Xavier is 7-0. and uh, Somehow, someway, they, they found a way to get all seven games into this point, and they have won all of them, and so uh, we're going to try to break them down here on this podcast. How are you guys doing? Well, first, whoever's phone just went off should probably answer it. That was my uh, alarm clock telling me I need to wake up. Okay. I texted you guys around like 5 p.m. saying, hey, what time are we going to do this podcast? Fell asleep immediately. Just like, hey, I'll, I'll guess 8.30 seems like a good time. You were, you were on your game. Yep. By Look the way, I have exclusive news for the podcast. Xavier has canceled the rest of their non-conference games. <laughs> opted out, Snow. They opted out. Opted out, excuse me. Opted out of the rest of their non-conference games. That's I, the preferred nomenclature. Uh, in my view, uh, I think the odds of Xavier playing an- another non-conference game this year are uh, actually pretty good. Yeah, that's actually, <laughs> there's something to be said for that. Yeah. yeah, a great point by Dan. We're off to a good start here. Uh, <laughs> well, and that's probably one of the things to bring up that we, I think we've all talked about recently, whether it be uh, on the message board or just amongst each other and with other people, is that this conference season is going to be unlike any other, and it's probably not going to be even. The, the Big East officials have already planned for the fact that they're not likely to get in their normal double round-robin schedule, and while they haven't made any changes yet to actually tra- traveling to play these games, they do have contingency plans that they're already working on, so... You're right, Dan. I mean, we could see any sort of uh, wrinkles here in the conference schedule, and it may not even be against conference opponents. We could see bubbles as Snow's favorite term. I mean, they could be anything here over the next few weeks as we get into winter break. I think Mario Mario and Travis are going all comers, and Xavier's going to end up like 38 and 20. (laughs) (laughs) Just say, screw it. We're playing games. Who cares? Yeah, like if you need 13 to get in, what happens if you play 39? Do we get three times the credit? They're looking at the, they're looking at, they're trying to break down the conference. Like, well, Butler is 12 and seven this year, but, but Xavier's 38 and 22. I don't know how we figure that out. You just see uh, Steele sitting at the podium for uh, the, the selection Sunday Zoom conference, and he's got his sheet of talking points for Mario. Well, we felt the NCAA was big on win totals, so we went out and we won 38 games. That's just what we decided to do this year. Trying to no team's ever been left out of the tournament while winning 38. <laughs> hey, look, that's true. People have people do forget that. Look, we hired we hired a professor uh, here at Xavier who who ran the numbers for us, and they confirmed no one's been left out with 38 wins. So that's where we went. Uh, no, well, let's get into some of the games that they actually just played. Obviously. The last time we talked was right before the Crosstown shootout. Xavier wins that one, 77-69 at Fifth Third Arena. And then they follow it up with Wednesday's just shellacking of Oklahoma, 99-77 at the Cintas Center. Let's start with the Crosstown shootout. Dan, give me your sort of big picture view of where you at on this team before the shootout and what changed after you saw this team play that game, win a close one late, and get those three guys back in C.J. Wilcher, Colby Jones, and Adam Kunkel. What year was the double overtime game that Jason Love sealed with the three-point play down the stretch? Was that a... Just say the time, like two, Jordan Crawford's year. Yeah, Jordan, the Jordan Crawford year, right. That's the last... That was the last, like, well-played Crosstown shootout before 2010. Yeah. Before this year. So you get in like one one well-played game a decade, I guess. Although I think with Steele and Brandon being the coaches now, um, I think we may see like better basketball in those games now. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think after the uh, Tennessee Tech State. Yep. Tennessee Tech. Whatever it was. Yep. Uh, Don't disrespect the Golden Eagles. Yeah. I, I, look. I, I just couldn't remember which directional Tennessee school it was. I knew it wasn't East Tennessee. State. Tech direction? Um, Rick is tech a direction? Uh, whatever. Just it's, it's, leave me alone. It's <laughs> Latin for up your ass. You know what? This podcast is over. I, <laughs> you're you're know, turning we, this podcast around. We should really be thinking more about 
having podcasts during these times, if honest. If we're going to lose like this, we should just push the podcast back to March or May. <laughs> well, May let's. May. Okay. So at, with Xavier sitting at five and oh, I was still, I think after it, it, it's the same place I was when we did the podcast with Paul after the, uh, the MTE, it was, um, I see some good things, but I'm very skeptical, very skeptical of a lot of things, very skeptical of this team's ability to make shots. Eh, that, that one got solved a little, um, skeptical of, of the team's ability to rebound. Um, some concern about the way that the rotations were working. And then I think, I think part of it is just personnel. I've never seen a team. First of all, I can't remember a situation where a team has gotten three rotation guys added to their roster mid season all at once, especially not the night before uh, the crosstown shootout or a big rivalry game like that. And as it turned out, both Adam Kunkel and Colby Jones played critical roles in that game and and uh, Colby was very good against Oklahoma as well. Kunkel and, and uh, Wilcher, you know, not as great against Oklahoma, but they were in there. They were getting minutes. And it just seemed like the whole tenor of the, uh, of the program and of the season and of the team completely changed as you saw them war after war in the UC game, match UC on their home court, Time and time again, with Paul Scruggs making huge plays, Jason Carter making huge plays, Zach Fremantle making huge plays, uh, and then uh, and then sealing the game in the last few minutes. And you just kind of, it, I, Rick, you made the point uh, on one of your podcasts about that seemed like it was a huge win for Travis Steele from like a credibility standpoint, if that makes sense. And yeah. I totally agree with that. I mean, the Seton Hall game last year obviously was a bigger win, right. better team more difficult circumstances and, uh, and, and a very impressive performance. And I think they might've had a couple Travis's first year that were like that, but this game, the Villanova game. Yeah. Um, But this game was, this game just, it was like a a switch got flipped. And then when the Oklahoma game started, um, I expected Xavier to win the whole time. And I, and honestly, I thought Oklahoma was a way better team than UC. So And I want to talk to get into the Oklahoma game in more detail, but um, with the shootout, I, I asked you that because I thought it was interesting that there was a, a tenor about this team after they started five and zero, which it's like okay, they're five and zero, but and there were nothing but concerns and criticisms after that, but and then you saw the UC game, and all of a sudden it was like, hey, we're freaking six and zero, man, we're pretty good, and it was like it was amazing to me how the tenor had flipped around the conversation for the team. So give me kind of your 50,000 foot view of the Cincinnati game and what changed with this team. Like, were you hundred percent convinced after those guys were added that this was just a different team right away? Or were you like, eh, Cincinnati may not be that good. I mean, I thought it would take time. Um, Cause when you're working in three new guys after what was it? Four, ga- five games, whatever the heck hell yeah. it was. Yep. Um, that's hard to do midstream. It, it just is. But I thought what it did was it totally changed the 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 identity of the team because now all of a sudden you had so many more options on the perimeter where they were really lacking. And like when you have all these options and you can come at guys in waves, it's just a it's just a deal. And I, I saw it during the UC game. I said, you know, I was like, Xavier's the better team. Now they might not win the better team. They're the more talented team. And then against Oklahoma, I know I texted you, Rick, like about probably like 15 minutes in. I said, damn, this team's good. And, you know, they're not going to shoot 70% from three all the time. But when you have that many weapons, it's a problem. Well, and you mentioned how difficult it is to incorporate those newcomers when you're, you know, you're five games in. You haven't even figured it out through those you five didn't games. Didn't seem with to have guys. that much of an issue with it, to be honest. Well, and that's I was going to say. I thought that was one of going back to the point of what a big win it was for Travis. I thought it was one of his more impressive coaching jobs too, because you go in to the second to last media timeout and you're trailing, and yet he had kind of set the game up for okay. I've seen what these new guys can do. I've gotten them the run. 
they're available if I need them down here here down the stretch. It's not like they haven't been in the game yet to, to get comfortable a little bit. I, I think he felt comfortable. Hey, if we need Colby Jones for a stop here. He can be on the court for if a few possessions. If we need possessions. three, we yeah, can put we need- Kunkel in, and he's not going to be completely cold. Yeah, Right. You had those options for you on the bench, and yet at the same time, you had your starters fresh and ready to go to close out the game, the guys who had been your main guys throughout the first five games. I thought that he did a really good job with kind of having everything ready going into those final two segments saying, we know what we have here for this day at least. Let's go win this thing. And I tell you what, that timeout, it got brought up in the Zoom press conference. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that from from Travis Steele. So um, I, I thought I thought that was a big moment in general for the, the the way this season turned. And then, you know, obviously it kind of bared out on Wednesday in the Oklahoma game. You know, and, and, and I think a huge part of that was just this is just a, a, a very poised basketball team. And I think a lot of that has to do with the get old and stay old mentality that they have. But I, I think of a couple plays in particular. One was uh, the transition basket towards the end of the UC game where Jason Carter got the ball in the low block. And instead of going up for a contested layup, settled himself through a wraparound pass to Zach Fremantle, who instead of going up and trying to dunk the ball, let the man go past him, laid it in, got the and one. Uh, and then also just Travis allowing Dwan Odom basically saying, clear out, let Dwan take the ball to the basket, draws fouls on two straight possessions, goes up, I think hit all four, or at least three of four. I mean, the just the level of poise and the level of uh, the, the calmness at the end of games is a, is a completely different thing than what we've seen the last couple of years. So they go into this Oklahoma game, and everyone had felt different, I think, about the Xavier team going in. It went from, all right, they're gonna, they're probably not going to win both the Cincinnati and Oklahoma games, too. They might should be the favorite in this Oklahoma game after what we saw against Cincinnati and knowing that they have these guys back. They put on the best shooting display in school history with 19 three-pointers. The, the shooting is what it is. I mean, you can't replicate that. That's not going to happen again. But I think what we saw is we talked about after the Cincinnati game, Brian and I were saying you got the glimpse of what Travis Steele has been promising. You know, the vision that he's been selling for the last year plus of where we're going to be more skilled. That's our goal. We're recruiting for that. We're going to play fast. We're going to move the ball. We're going to shoot threes. You saw some of it in the UC game and it worked and it won you a game. The Oklahoma game was exactly what everybody has been wanting. And it's not going to be like that every night, but at least you know now with this team, the potential's there. They can do that. The They have more upside than I think I ever expected. Yeah, I mean, getting to Dan's point, the, the thing that struck me the most about this team isn't necessarily the outside shooting. It's how many times the last few years has a Xavier, and I won't name names, <clears throat> but a Xavier player been on a two-on-one or a three-on-two break and just kind of, score the try to score themselves and either blow the layup or get fouled and make one of two or just just not make the easy pass for the layup this year you see them make the easy pass for the layup every single time and those points matter and i think that's kind of a huge thing and that leads and that same thing also leads to the extra ball movement now they're they're not villanova they don't you know, they don't have this unbelievable 13 pass possessions where they may work a, the greatest shot in the history of basketball, but they switch sides of the floor. They make things happen. You, they always seem to have three shooters and two movers on the court at the same time. And the movers say DeWan Odom and Jason Carter move the ball, and then the shooters shoot the ball. And that's a pretty good combination. Yeah, and I'd say Colby Jones has really added to the movers category. When he gets in yes. there, the ball, you know, he's he's turned it over a few times, but most of those have been ball handling miscues where he's just kind of fallen over. When he's passing, he makes good decisions, and it doesn't stick with him at all. I mean, well, yeah, really and I think – yeah. Dan, did you want to get in there? Uh, no. <laughs> good. Great. No one else can bring analysis like Dan. <laughs> um, no, I stepped on you, and then you said what I was going to say. So. All right. Um Zach Freeman, unbelievable in this one. I, I don't know what else we can say about Freeman at this point. We we talked I mean, about he, him all offseason about the step he was going to make, and it's even better than I think we hyped it up to be. He put up like basically a vintage Bill Walton at UCLA line in that game. I mean, it's 
it's it's incredible. I'm looking at it right now, and it's it's hard to believe. 12 for 14 from the field, four of six from three, which means he went eight for eight from uh, two point goals. Cause I can subtract like that for 28 points on 14 field goal attempts. That's pretty good. Five rebounds, that. three assists. Uh, he was pretty much, I, I mean, it's as close to perfect as you can be basically. Well, and you read that stat line, you would think he's a seven footer like Walton, like you're talking about Dan, or you would think he's Obi Toppin and caught, five oops and had two other dunks like the funny thing is most of what he's doing is like 20 to 15 feet away from the basket i would i would say though that he had three or four dunks off pick and rolls where he was completely left open uh in the second half of that game when oklahoma's how about that pass coming out of a timeout oh that was really good because uh manic read the little cross screen play that they like to run and so <laughs> Fremantle just called for a little backside oop with a point of a finger and Kunkel put it right on the spot, like yeah. right on the spot. That was ridiculous. Yeah, that, that was and impressive. So Fremantle's line is ridiculous. Nate Johnson, of course, goes nuts and hits seven threes, as we know he's capable of. And so, so you're left with like Paul Scruggs as the third best player on the team, having one of the best games I've ever seen him play for Xavier on the heels of maybe the best game I've ever seen him play for Xavier. So, well, I remember Brian said something about Scruggs and this, I don't know if it was our preseason podcast or if it was first through the first few games after like the Xavier Invitational or something, but he mentioned something to the effect of, I think that, you know, Paul's never been like a rah, rah guy or a guy that's like uh, gregarious, had a big personality or a team guy in huddles or anything, but the, the Xavier kind of wanted him to be more of that this year and be more of a leader. And I have to say, I think through the last few games, he has picked that up in a way I didn't know he was capable of. His on-court body language and the way he's like talked to his teammates and stuff like that, I've never, I've never seen it from him. I, I do think it makes a difference too right now. Like some of that, sometimes that stuff gets overdone, and it's cliche, and it seems corny. But when you're winning, uh, and when you see it working the way it is for this team, they look like they're just having a ton of fun playing basketball together. It doesn't look that like guys, uh, say for maybe one. Are, are upset about their playing time or their role right now. And the whether they're coming in the game or they're going to the bench, they all have kind of that same excited-looking attitude, and, and they're all up and cheering each other on. To me, I think that matters. Well, and one guy who's a perfect example of that is Brian Griffin, who looks like the cat that caught the canary at this point. I mean, this dude was playing at the lowest possible level of college basketball, riding his bike to, to the gym every morning. <laughs> And now he's playing, and now he's a, a a legitimate solid rotation option on a Big East team, and seems to be loving every minute of it. Uh, I think Steve Lavin, who I'm just so so on, referred to him as the Cookie Monster during the Oklahoma game, which I think is a, a terrific nickname. Is that after, before, or after he called him a ham sandwich? <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one too. Yeah, I like I, the Cookie Monster better. M- me too, because I don't even know what the hell calling him a ham sandwich means, but. I don't know it either way. I'll let you guys debate this. Well, Snow, when you see back in the day, there was a television program called Sesame Street. And one of the characters on Sesame Street was a blue uh, bulbous monster who enjoyed eating cookies. And he was the cookie monster. This was before your time, obviously. And uh, he was well loved by everybody. And uh, Brian Griffin gobbles up rebounds like the cookie monster gobbled up cookies. Yeah, you learn a little something new every day. That was like the uh, Quick Reads podcast that I listened to where they just take a book and they shorten it down to like, here's the main points of it. You guys do know who the cookie monster is. Yeah, I mean, but I didn't get the reference in in, in the basketball. Yeah, it just it didn't make a lot of sense, but it makes more sense than the ham sandwich reference. So uh, fair enough. All right. Nate Johnson. You know, I mean, he's, he's not going to be declared the best transfer uh, ever at Xavier. You've, you've got a few guys there to to hurdle. But I mean, in terms of what Xavier has been looking for from that grad transfer spot the last few years on the steel regime, when you have Bryce Moore uh, last season, the season before that, Kyle Castlin, Nate Johnson has been one hell of a find to this point. Significantly better. Yeah, in every aspect. But I mean, the shooting is just something else. He is on an incredible tear to start the season. I think it's because he's always, I mean, I don't want to say he always took good shots against Oklahoma, but when you're that on fire, anytime you shoot, it's a good shot. Yeah. But every three, now he's taken some bad, but every three he's taken has been a good shot this season. 
Well, and someone pointed it out to me, they asked me to look it up uh, on Synergy, which I did before the uh, UC game or maybe before the Oklahoma game. I can't recall. But his numbers, and, and, and granted, it's small sample sizes because he's only taking you know, a handful of shots off the dribble. But his jump shots, the comparison off the catch versus off the dribble, it's a stark contrast in terms of his shooting percentage. So, yeah, he, I mean, most of his shots have come set shots where he's wide open or at least an open enough. And he's been money on those. The few he shot off the dribble haven't been as good. But, of course, last night against Oklahoma, after he got hot, he shot uh, a heat check where he dribbled right into it without a pass. And and that went pretty well for him. So uh, the one thing we've seen on tape that has definitely held true is that Gardner-Webb, he didn't make every open three that he got. But on the nights that he was hot, he could put up a, a bunch of them. And he already showed that again in, in the Oklahoma game. Uh, I'll just observe, and I think somebody made this point on the message board, so uh, apologies because I'm kind of stealing this. But last year, all season, Bryce Moore scored 79 points, and Nate Johnson already has what? I'm going to pull it up here. 94. 94 is greater than 79. It is. I mean, like – he was in some kind of zone yesterday. That well, was absurd. And it goes from, you know, it kind of goes back to the point about the first five games, the way you feel about this team. I, I, after the Tennessee Tech game, I'm thinking, okay, when Kiki Tandy gives this team something offensively, when he's in the zone, they can be tough. Like they, they have potential on offense, but I'm not sure how confident I am in Kiki Tandy doing that consistently now, all of a sudden, that doesn't matter. I mean, he didn't show up in the Cincinnati or Oklahoma game, and Xavier you know, played pretty well on offense against Cincinnati and played out of their minds against Oklahoma. That's the difference that having those extra options make is now you're not relying on two guys to get that, that have to get hot for. You've got four or five guys, and you can say, okay, now if two of you five can do it tonight, we'll be okay. I, I was just talking to someone inside the program, and he brought up a funny kind of point to me. They're no, they're no longer worried, will someone be hot during a game and make shots? They're worried, like, how quickly can we figure it out? Will there be enough time in the game where we actually figure it out? Or will we get out too late? Because, you know, one day it could be Kunkel, one day it could be mm-hmm. Nate Johnson, one day it could be Kiki. It's like, how long does it take us to figure out on that specific night who's having the hot night? Right, and, and make sure you're getting everyone enough opportunity to prove that. Yeah. Do you get enough touches? Are you in a position to score when you got your touches? All of those things, that's going to be the hardest part for the coaching staff now is making right. sure everyone has that chance to get in the groove. Well, if you're going to have problems, that's that's the problem to have. That's not a bad problem to have. What do you guys think of the uh, defense in the, uh, in the two games this week and particularly uh, the rebounding? Against, I thought it was good. Against Oklahoma, it was probably below average. But I think some of that is game flow. Like when you're in a game where you're just, you know, like rocking on offense, let's be honest, it's kind of hard to be locked in like that on defense the whole time. It, it just is. But I thought against Cincinnati, their defense and rebounding, at least defensively, was really good. Well, especially in important moments, too. Like I, I thought there, you know, there were some stretches where, especially in the first half, like Zach Freeman got that early foul, and then it became very clear that he was avoiding fouls the, the rest mm-hmm. of the half. So, like, he gave up a, a dunk or two to vote and another finish to somebody else there along the baseline on, on pick and rolls where he just completely olayed and let him go to the rim. And honestly, it was the right call. Zach Freeman staying in that game and making sure yep. he's out of foul trouble is going to give UC a whole lot more problems than Chris Vogt getting a two-pointer in the first half is going is to end up for Xavier, you know? So... I, I actually like some of the issues they've had defensively, especially with like side ball screens, which I know is frustrating when people watch such a simple action and they're like, how, you know, how do you keep giving that up? Well, some of it's been Zach Freeman looks like he's out there trying not to foul right now. And I think some of that's probably a directive from the staff and some of that's probably Freeman realizing that he likes scoring 20 something points and being on the floor right. longer. So he's just going to take plays off on defense if he's going to have to take plays off. So. I mean, you can talk a lot of crap from the bench, but nobody really takes you seriously. You really got to be on the floor for that to have an impact. Yeah. Have, I, have I ever told the Bo Kimball story? You have not. Well, maybe, but I don't remember it. So not D Xavier's playing Loyola Marymont. And uh, Bo Kimball, like, now this is back in the day where, like, when you made, like, three threes, it was a big deal. I, Dan, you might remember better than me, but Bo Kimball made, like, seven or eight. 
I was at this game. Yeah. Um, and someone on the bench, I, it was like a wing. I've been told this story. It was, it wasn't like Tyrese Walker, but it was, you know, kind of a wing in that time kept saying, you know, Bo knows nothing. Bo knows nothing. Mm-hmm. And after Bo Kimball like banged in a seven, three, he turns around and goes, Bo knows you're on the bench and runs down to the other end. Like you can't talk crap from the bench. Or when Larry Bird, the biological father of that dude from Oklahoma, uh, uh, lined up for a three against uh, against the Pacers and turned around and said "Merry Christmas" to Chuck Person before the ball went in. That was, uh, there was an expletive in there too, but uh, but yeah. Let's just let's just stop the podcast here and go through the history of all the best trash talking moments. I'd actually enjoy a podcast like that. I would listen to that. Yeah, oh, that'd be great. I think it's probably good to, unless you guys have something else you want to point out about the Oklahoma or maybe even the Cincinnati game, Dan, since we haven't really talked since then. Um, I would like to get into breaking down the Big East conference schedule. Do you guys have anything left you want to head on from Oklahoma? Um, I just think it's been bad coaching up to this point to not tell the guys to make every shot they take. <laughs> no, it was a good offensive system to run against Oklahoma. I'm glad they made that tweak. Yeah, I mean, the the make-every-shot-you-take system seems like the most effective offensive system, but who am I to judge? Oh, it's tough. I just want to observe that that any concerns that Kiki Tandy may have about playing time will be resolved after this season when Adam Kunkel transfers to uh, UC, as we know. (laughs) Well, uh, Xavier is keeping Kunkel warm, which is is very kind of them for the Bearcats. Help help is on the way, John. Don't worry. You don't don't need to recruit anyone for 2021. let's talk about the Kiki thing though, because that is a good point. How tenuous do you think the situation is right now, Brian? Do you think fans should be worried that like uh, that's not a good relationship or people being thrown off a little bit by the fact that Kiki doesn't ever show emotion at all? I think Kiki's being Kiki right now. Like, do I think he's, I just, he naturally looks like he's sulking even when he's not. Um, you know, he makes three threes in a row. What's he going to have? He's going to have that same blank stare on his face. With that said, like, do I think he's necessarily? Th- no, but if you're the coaching staff, do you want him to be thrilled? No, you want a guy who wants to play. So I don't think he's going to transfer this season. Like, I don't think he's like not going home for Christmas and doing his thing. But and leaving to go to Western Kentucky or Eastern Kentucky or Kentucky Tech, I, that'd be another directional Kentucky, according to Dan. So I, I don't see that happening. But the Musketeers have however many scholarship players they have, and they're all good. Not all of them are going to stay. That's just reality. Right. So could Kiki leave? I don't know. It's possible. But, you know, if in the next game he comes out and he bangs in five threes and all's right in the world again. So I don't know. It felt a lot more significant to have him last year when uh, basically you had an entire team of ball stoppers, but he was a guy that could knock down a three. Now at this point, I don't know. He can't be a ball stopper because this team doesn't need ball stoppers. Um, So I don't know. I I still think he he can be a very valuable piece. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. But I think college basketball, we can put up 20 in the blink of an eye, but I Um, think it's a different thing on the team as it's constituted now is when he came in last year. Well, I mean, heck last year, two, you know, two games ago, I was thinking Kiki Tandy has to be good for this team to be good. I I really thought that a lot of the season hinged on him. And now we're talking about, well, like, you know, if Kiki, decides at somewhere down the line he, he wants out like that's a possibility and it might not hurt this team that's a crazy change here and just a yeah, few but, days but in fairness we're stupid people who have to make up things to talk about well I mean, but i i mean i i forget that wasn't making it up though i genuinely this, this wasn't like a, a talking point that i felt was a reach i mean i legitimately thought a lot of this team's success this season and maybe in you know the next year kiki tandy was going to be a really important piece like i thought the big three was going to be him, Zach Fremantle, and Paul Scruggs. I didn't think it was going to be Nate Johnson in there as that third piece this year. So, I mean, that that is a big change to me, but I think it says a lot about the talent Travis Steele has actually acquired and certainly the uh, the whole transfer thing kind of working out here at the last minute for him has, has helped fix this situation even quicker. Yeah, but 
Like I, I wouldn't freak out about it. I mean, Kiki's he's a different dude to begin with. He just is. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, he he's gonna do his deal. It might not always look pretty in terms of body language, and sure, you wish he had better body language, but at the end, it is what it is. And if he again, if he has a twenty point outburst on what is Xavier play a Saturday, Sunday, yeah, Monday, Saturday, you know then no one's going to be too concerned. Well, and I think the 20-point outbursts are still coming. Like, I don't think he's done this year. He's he's going to be yeah. a streaky guy. He'll have a couple more big games where he's either hot early, so they leave him on the floor more, or the, the matchups just work out where he's not going to give up too much defensively or what have you. So he'll, he'll still have some games. I think the more concerning thing you saw was, okay, Cincinnati game happens. Uh, clearly, he doesn't look too happy. He didn't play a whole lot. He wasn't a factor. you got to imagine staff has a conversation with him, clarifies here's what we need from you you know keep plugging away that type of thing and then you come out in the Oklahoma game you get two kind of ridiculous turnovers to be honest a bad shot he doesn't play a whole lot again and then when you put him in for the final two minutes with some of the other young guys he shoots three bad three-pointers in less than a minute it kind of feels like a little defiance, a little I'm not going to get the message on purpose coming from him there. You you need him to buy in a little bit. I mean, that that that's the probably the more concerning part to me is the fact that the Oklahoma game, he looked so disengaged and like, I don't care what just happened in Cincinnati. I'm I'm going to do Kiki. I do think part of the message from the staff is shoot the ball mm-hmm. like so I. I'm not sure I look at it quite the same way you do on that one, Rick. Um, but the turnovers were bad, like trying to dribble between your legs and between three people. Like, what are you doing? But like, I think the staff wants some shooting. Oh, sure. But I mean, dribbling the ball up the floor and launching three threes in less than a minute when you're running the point with a young unit in, I, I think the, the team would also like to see him buying in and being a teammate a little bit. You know, I mean, and that kind of is a key. He didn't need points in the last two minutes of a 30 point game. You know what I mean? Like, bring the ball up and maybe make one pass at least. Let one of the freshmen touch the ball. That might be a thought. Yeah, you know. Well, we've concluded the segment that will cause Rick to get like 17 text messages tomorrow about. So uh, yeah. well, maybe we can move on to talking about the conference schedule. That's nothing new. Uh, Big East play starts on Saturday at Providence. This team was picked seventh in the preseason coaches poll. Well, how much have you changed on that? Or I, mean, I don't know how much that matters in the Big East if you're – making uh, delineations between third and seventh necessarily. I'm not sure how many levels there really are there, but what are your thoughts? Do you, I mean, you have to think this team has more upside than seventh at this point, right? First of all, impressed with your delineations. I don't even know if I used that word, right? I mean, neither do I, but sounded good. Doesn't matter. Whatever. I mean, I don't know how we can possibly make a, uh, make an assessment at this point given that uh, a lot of the teams in the conference have played none or very few games. Uh, Some have had high profile games. Some have been successful. Some haven't. Um, So I, I mean, I, I still think seventh probably sounds about right, but we have no idea if Butler's ever going to play basketball this year. You know what I mean? So, and DePaul as well. So I I was going to say that you you know something about DePaul that we don't know. (laughs) uh, So it's like, uh, I think they should be a, a good match for basically everybody in the conference with maybe the exception of Creighton and Villanova is the way I see it at this point. Here, here's what I'll say on Butler. Um, once they're back, they're going to be good. No one's going to have to worry about them canceling again. That's true. <laughs> they may be the ones playing split squads. Herd yeah. immunity like you read about. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think they're going to have to test. They're going to be playing. They're going to have a road game at Seton Hall, and then they're going to have their second team play IUPUI the same day. So they're going to rack up two wins. (laughs) You guys got six months. Six months, you're good. No testing, nothing. No masks. You can do whatever the hell you want. Yeah, I, I would tell you, but I don't know DePaul's situation exactly. I don't know if they had a, you know, one guy here, guy there, but Butler, Butler's going to be just fine. They're going to get there. However many team games the other teams in the Big East can play, that's how many Butlers play. Why? They're all going to be doing the Matt Howard nose pick so they can just get those uh, spores out there into the uh, <laughs> part of the court. Jesus, God. I think the first game 
on the Paul schedule right now that they're set to play is Friday, December 18th against Xavier, like hosting Xavier. Yeah, I'd be advantage must that happens, but well, sure. But I think right now as a right, like they are definitely not going to play a game before then. Everything else has been whacked. So that is just wild to think about. And Xavier mm-hmm. sitting at seven now, which that, I mean, you got to give a lot of credit to Mario and, and Xavier's administration for getting it done the way they did. And luck. Yeah, I think yeah. they I think they uh I think they looked at the different scenarios and they decided that this was the one that you kind of lay your cards down. And actually it makes a lot of sense because if things had gone bad now, there was still an opportunity to pick it up somewhere later along the line. Yeah. Um these teams that didn't do that, that kind of slow played the beginning of the season and waited until now to start their season, they don't have a whole lot of margin for error. It's kind of the the Big Ten in football scenario, right? Um, so, yeah, you just so, don't yeah. get those days back. Exactly, exactly. They made use of every day possible in the schedule, uh, and were able to get through seven non conference games, which I sincerely doubt anybody else in the country will play seven non conference games, at least scheduled. Yeah, and that's and that's really the better the better point to make is that you know they. They they had luck, yes, because they didn't get it. But you got to expect you're going to get it at some point. And they controlled what they could control by forcing in all these games because there are other teams that didn't have it either, and yet they've only played two or three games at this point. So and it, when it Snow talks about luck, by the way, Toledo, Bradley, and Oakland were all paused with COVID in the last month before the season started. So you know, timing did work in their favor. Yeah, and the, the other thing about it is it's not just you not getting it. It's the other team that you're scheduled to get at that time not getting it. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone's denying that. But, there is, but like, you do have to control, the like you said, taking advantage of all the days that you are able to play and, and making use of that. So they, they did a good job with that. You know, I know Dan said it's tough to really make any comments on the Big East at this point, not knowing much. But, Snow, do you have any takes on Xavier and – where you where you see them in the Big East at this point? Well, you know, I can say in the games I've seen, Xavier's looked better than Marquette. They've looked better than Seton Hall. They've looked better than um, Providence. Providence. Uh, so, okay. You know, that kind of bumps them up a few spots, so to speak. Now, part of that is, is Seton Hall looks like a team that's never practiced because they haven't yeah. practiced. And Kevin Willard just said, all right, fellas, we're just going to get games in. And sometimes it went well, sometimes it went poorly, but they got some games. Uh, so I, I think Xavier looks better than some of those teams right now, but what does that mean in a month when, you know, you kind of get more into a one, you know, two game a week rhythm, theoretically, you know, that, that could change things. Sure. But I mean, I think we're talking about, but they're going to get four, four conference games in the next 10 days. Yeah. I mean, allegedly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah hy- hypothetically. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, did, well, five before Christmas. I mean, that's unbelievable. No, you brought brought up though. I mean, three teams there. I think that you would say right now you'd have them above. So those are all three teams that are ranked right ahead of them. I mean, you're talking about the difference between seventh and maybe you you would say they're third or fourth right now in the conference. And again, that probably doesn't really mean a whole heck of a lot, especially at this point when everything's so up in the air. But I felt very comfortable with ranking this team seventh during the preseason. I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I don't know how much upside they have to overachieve from that spot. Now I'm looking at it from what you just said. Well, they look better than the few teams that were ranked ahead of them to start the season. So to me, I think, uh, you know, I don't know that they're Creighton or Villanova, but I think anything after that, they can, they can easily be just as good or better. No, no question. And, you know, and again, they've got like, when I was watching Indiana, along with Xavier last night, like Indiana, it seems like it's a a struggle to get a basket. Xavier doesn't have those struggles. And that makes such a huge difference in conference play when you just got guys who can get buckets, which Xavier had. I liked how much you struggled to get the word struggle out right there. That was funny. Is that ironic? Circumstance. Yeah, I think it might be ironic. Uh, I don't know. I don't really have too much else intelligent to say about this team. Where do you guys have anywhere you want me to take this? Do we have to tell the uh, uh, me almost killing you story? I think we do have to mention that. So actually, it started with you just deciding you wanted to watch Shane Larkin play. 
And fair enough. And we, it was like picks. cold and rainy, but like not necessarily icy yet. Were we at Toledo? Uh, we were at Akron and we had to get to Kent State. That's right. So it's like a 20 minute drive, give or take. And I'm like, Rick, let's go, let's go. And you're like, no, I'm going to watch the end of Shane's game. And I said, all right. At which point, like it gets a little bit colder. And we don't know exactly where we're going on Kent State's campus, but we're, we're trying the gym and I'm going down a hill and I've got some just terrible rental car. And I hit the brakes and just nothing happens. And Rick goes, oh, crap. And I just crunch into the car in front of us going down this hill. Oh, boy. Which triggered and, a three car, a three or four car pile up there at the stop sign. Yeah. And uh, like the again, I'm driving like a matchbox car. It like accordions in. Rick gets whiplash. I'm like losing my mind because I'm hitting the brakes and nothing's happening. The, so the, the first dude is driving like a nice white Dodge Charger. He hops out, wants to fight the dude behind him for hitting his Charger. Meanwhile, Snow's in the back of the line going, it's my fault. It was all on me. I'm the one who caused this. While two dudes are about to fight each other over a wreck that neither one of them had anything to do with, really. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, a cop starts coming down and it's Mike Roberts, the AA official. And I go, my bad, Officer Roberts. It was my fault. He goes, how do you know who I am? And I go, well, you know, I work in basketball. I, I've covered a lot of games you've officiated, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, okay. He goes, so what happened? I go like, listen, I was paying attention and what? And I wasn't even speeding. I was going like 15 miles an hour. Yeah. Well, there was a little dip in the road right before a stop sign. So like we were going a little fast if there were going to be four cars sitting at a stop sign on the other side of this little hill in the rain, but we couldn't see that. So you're going probably like, 35 40 and then people were right there hey, don't be don't don't be trying to get snow i don't think i was charge at this point well i mean look we, we i mean it's not like we were stopped when when we skidded no. into the back of these cars so no, we were moving we a little bit. yeah and he goes so what happened and i told him the story and he goes okay he goes well technically i'm supposed to write you a ticket for any wreck but it's you did what you were supposed to do and it was just kind of the it was a slick hill it's it get this place gets icy i had just written someone a ticket 10 minutes ago in this exact spot so you're good i'm like all right so we go so rick recovers from his whiplash calls his lawyer gets ready to sue me and uh we go in and we're watching cia bounce at the time with negus webster chan and the big sensation face off against Gary Harris, RJ Hunter and his team. And after you get into a car wreck like that, literally every pain you've ever in your life you notice. Mm -hmm. And it was just like completely uncomfortable and Rick was like threatening to sue me the entire time. It, it just it, you're in another dimension. Like I had a neck brace on. I was talking about not being able to get erections and I was pissing on myself just to see like how far I could take it. I'm sorry, how is this any any different than normal. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was basically a standard Saturday afternoon for me. Hey, and I just wasn't at a bar. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, that was, that was certainly a moment. I, I remember uh, there was a guy named Mark Maggard at the time who was just a true character. I mean, when you talk about like the underbelly of AAU and the CD people they, they bring up, this is the guy, right? Like this is one of the guys you're like, what the hell was going on with that character? Um, he, he had like he was a 45 year old man covering Kentucky basketball and have like frosted tips and torn jeans and Jordans on. And uh, he was just unbelievable. And he's like screaming at me because I wasn't shooting video of simple R at the time. And meanwhile, I mean, again, I had just been in a car wreck, so I didn't really care about anything. And also like simple R couldn't walk up and down the court twice without checking back out of the game. So like, there was nothing to watch there at the time. And granted, I, I ended up taking video of everything and putting stuff up, obviously, as everyone knows who followed the site because Xavier ended up recruiting him. But yeah, that, I, that was just one of the weirdest days ever. Uh, getting in a car wreck, no getting out of it because he knew the cop who happened to be an official, going to watch the big sensation for the first time and fighting with one Mark Maggard throughout the game while I was already, uh, you know, had a broken collarbone and was 
was uh, impotent at that time. And so. Sharing a hotel room with Paul Doherty, who was drinking Keystone Light in his underwear. Not Paul. <laughs> I think you were sharing a hotel room with Brendel. It's even worse. Yeah, not Paul Doherty. It's Brendel. <laughs> I was referring to the story that Mo Egger yeah. told. So. Yeah. Oh, I know. I mean, wh- how about that? I mean, Dan, we got to get your thoughts on. I know. I know you didn't sit through that whole two and a half hour. I can't stay up that show. late. Um, but you did skim through to see the Doherty story, just a plus stuff from Mo. Agri. I did catch the highlights. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> there, there's nobody that tells that, that has better stories, tells better stories and is willing to tell good stories like Mo. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a classic. There were like at least like 15 fouls in that story that doc committed, um, <laughs> And just like and and just like Mo's uh, uh, stoicness through the entire thing, uh, and then of course the the punchline at his dad's funeral absolutely slayed me. So, you know, props to him. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I yeah, I don't know if we have any other uh, nonsense goofing that we need to take care of. Is there anything else out there from the message board or whatever that we need to address? You want to address the uh, Krasuski thing? Oh. Yeah, we can. I mean, well, I mean, I I would imagine you all are on the same side, right? Like, this is who he is. When he loses, he wants to quit. See, I I'll be honest. I don't think it's that. I think his team is totally miserable right now. They look like they're miserable. They're playing like they're miserable. You've got a bunch of young dudes who really think they should are better than they are. Who should be in the NBA. And they're like, why am I doing this? And I think I just think they're totally miserable. That sounds like a him problem. What Kay doesn't realize is the rest of the country isn't really feeling that way. Like anyone want to ask Joshua Langford at Mich- Michigan State after he's missed the last two years with injury, how he's feeling? Can we ask him? Seems like he's probably having a pretty good time playing basketball. And like, sure, we all wish right now you can go home. You can see your parents. You can celebrate whatever holiday it is that you celebrate, Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever, you know, and then come back and play basketball. But that's not a reality. So you got to choose one. Which one do, do most basketball players want to choose? The play basketball option. But maybe Kay's team doesn't fit that. And he's, and it's not like Kay's taking a pulse and talking to 50 different coaches. He talks to nobody. He's in his own bubble. And I think he thinks what he's going through right now and what his team's going through is normal. Whereas my text messages greatly indicate that it's not normal. Dan, did you, did you have any thoughts on coach K's comments? Well, I, I mean, I laughed at it just because it sort of fits into the whole Krzyzewski thing that seems to happen every time he has a bad team. But I will also say that Nate Oates' call out, um, you know, the, the, the question that was asked by the reporter, what kind of gave him, it teed him up to, to spike the volleyball. But then the, the record, response. No way, there's no way Oates didn't ask that reporter to ask that question. Oh, yeah, sure. but, but then Oates' full response as he pondered the possibility of COVID had me just absolutely <laughs> – like I, I was, I was afraid for him the entire time because there was no clue what the next thing that was going to come out of his mouth was. Somewhat cringeworthy. The entire comments, somewhat cringeworthy. It didn't quite. Yeah, he he got close to the point a couple times and he <laughs> did from it. He never went full moron, which I give him some credit for. But yeah, they just need to, to keep the cl- the clip cut at the point where he's like. Let's be honest. Would Kay be talking about this if his team hadn't just lost two games? That's where they need to keep it cut. Like, don't right. share reporter, any and of then the rest of it. He asks a question. The reporter says no. Cut. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Don't 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 show all the other stuff. So yeah, I, I agree with you there. But that was just fantastic stuff. Uh, I I love someone actually being willing to call out the nonsense of Kay. I mean, the, the weirdest thing to me is like the, the national media types who fall for this and cape for it every time it's like i mean they just cannot get enough of the sweet taste of mike shashevsky it, it really is bizarre they like they love running this like the world's coming to an end story because games get canceled 
it's the same freaking people that did it for the whole college football season. Like before the season, yeah. they were telling us not going to play, not going to play, never going to happen. And then like, even it happened. baseball, like all oh, the season's getting canceled. There's been an out. No, no, it's not. They got through it. Yeah. And I, guess what? Basketball's going to get through it too. I mean, it's like a lot of other things in this world right now. It's not ideal. It's not perfect. There, are, It's going to be different from how we've ever done it before, but I don't think the solution is to just stop it all together. Like, we're dealing with this reality for a while. It's We're going to have to move on and continue our lives in some form or fashion, and I, I think we've found a safe enough way for – young student athletes to be able to do that through college football's proven it. And, you know, there's been a lot of bumps along the way, certainly, but for the most part, we've had an entertaining season and one that I think everyone who participated in for the most part would do again, if they had the opportunity, I don't think like there were these terrible issues along the way that, that happened throughout the college football season that would make it a regret in any way, shape or form. So I imagine we're going to get a similar thing for college basketball. And like the other thing about it is, they keep acting like this is more harmful to these college athletes than being normal college students would be, which I think is patently false. I, I do yeah, not agree with that. Not all. supported by any evidence. Yeah. I mean, the, the outbreaks on college campuses are terrible compared to what student athletes are having. I mean, like there's no way you could tell me being tested less is better than being tested more. Well, and having no real uh, incentive. Yeah, no real incentive to to try to quarantine. So like if you're a college kid, you think you're invincible and you don't care. And to a certain extent with this virus, they're probably safe enough in doing that that they're going to keep taking that risk. So, yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's ridiculous to think that they would be safer if they were just running around campus doing their thing. Well, ultimately, I, I guess what I'd say is this. I think that there is a justifiable uh, moral or ethical question about whether we should be playing college sports this season. I think people can have good faith arguments on both sides. I think that uh, once you make the decision to go forward, this is about the best you can do. So, and also like when are. you start bringing in mental health, like what is better for one's mental identifies as a basketball player to be playing basketball or to not be playing basketball. Well, like Dan said, I mean, I agree with the idea that like it's not ridiculous to be suggesting these things. It's just ridiculous when you're a coach who has a long track record of complaining and taking your ball and going home when things are not going your way and you decide to make this statement right now. I mean, I know he's mentioned it a time or two before, but it's 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 just a bad look for Kay. And he even had the self-awareness to say before he said it, I know people aren't going to like that I'm saying this right now after we just lost again, but... I mean, it's like, come on, dude, just be a little bit better than that. He just cannot resist eating the garbage. He has to do it every time. I will say, I like how he doubled down today. Like, oh, wait, someone's going to come after me. I'm doubling down. Yeah, we're not playing any more non-conference games. <laughs> Which is one game, but yeah. Right. <laughs> but he's just making a statement with it, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that does it for this edition of the Dana and Victory podcast, available on musketeerreport.com and all of your favorite streaming platforms. For the legend, Brian Snow and Dan. I'm Rick. Thanks for listening, everyone.